Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chigo Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Wednesday evening, where we continue our reflections into this great work authored by Christopher West, Fill These Hearts. Uh, we have been staying with Christopher West for quite some time now, and I was in a conversation this past week, and someone asked me, Joe, uh, why Christopher West? Well, if you've been listening to the radio program, hopefully you know he really takes the very dense thought of John Paul II, the very rich thought of John Paul II, and he puts it into layman terms. And we have just been here from one month to the next reflecting uh, with his own reflections and hopefully bringing a deeper understanding of what theology of the body is all about. I know from uh, your emails out there and, and the phone calls I received that this is a popular topic, so we have just stayed with it, and uh, it does bring me great joy to be able to come to you here in Chico, sharing the richness and the beauty of uh, the Catholic faith, especially as it comes to us through theology of the body. And this evening, I'm most excited because I do have both of my sidekicks here in the radio station, uh, Chris Seibert and Derek Ellen. So uh, guys, great to have you with me. Good to be back. Joe, the prodigal son returns. Yeah. How about that? <laughs> Good to be back with the two of you as well. So guys, Christopher West in this work, he breaks it up into three parts, the first being desire, the second being design, and the last being destiny. And in those three Ds, he really does distill the essence of what theology of the body is about. And we've arrived at this point where we now have the opportunity to talk about destiny, right? We have spent a number of months on those other two sections, desire and design, now destiny. What is desire? Desire is about what we long for. What is design about, but what we are created for, and of course, destiny, what we are headed for. So we have this uh, beautiful topic before us, destiny, and you know, guys, as I think about this word, I cannot help but think about um, some travels that I've made with my own kids. You know, the word itself, destiny, means what? A point of arrival, arrival. And I was thinking, you know, about four years ago, I was heading to uh, Legoland with with two of my kids. The other two were not born yet. <laughs> ah, <yes>. Now, from <laughs> Chico to Legoland, Legoland, for our listening audience who's outside the state and countries in San Diego, it's about a, I don't know what, Chris, an eight-hour drive. Absolutely. <laughs> and and for those of you in San Diego, they're going to want to be pinpoint <laughs> accurate. It's Carlsbad. <laughs> okay, Carlsbad. You're right. My brother actually lives in Carlsbad. <laughs> well, Carlsbad, San Diego, it's roughly an eight, nine-hour drive. Yeah. Well, to the story itself, our first trip to Legoland was approximately about 10 hours because we made a couple of pit stops, one of which was at, well, McDonald's. And of course, what did uh, my two children then want to do but play in Playland? We could not get them to leave Playland in McDonald's. And I'm sitting there talking Great. to my wife, <laughs> talking to my wife, do they have any idea where we are headed? You know, they can't leave Playland. And of course, Legoland is Playland on steroids. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, we've got to do something to get going because we wanted to get there at a reasonable hour. And finally, uh, we convinced our kids through some pictures, it's time to go. And they saw some of the pictures, these amazing 
pictures. You know, of course, Legoland, everything's made of Legos. And we were on our way. But they were resisting. We had to get our kids to understand that this trip isn't just about McDonald's. You had to evangelize about the joys of Legoland. <laughs> yeah, yes. that's right. And you had to talk about geography. Guys, we are not on East Avenue yeah, right now. That's <laughs> right. That's right. No, I mean, we. this trip is about Legoland. And conversely, they needed to trust us that where we were headed was a much more special place than just Playland. And why do I share this story? Because in so many ways, guys, we spend our time here on earth far too focused on Playland, if you will. Mm -hmm. We don't live with the end in mind. We don't think about our destiny. We don't think about the end goal, the point of arrival. We're too focused on the here and now. And not that we are not to enjoy it, huh? No, enjoy Playland. Enjoy the gifts that God has given us. But do so in light of the end. Do so in light of, of what awaits you. Something that came to mind right away, Joe, the eighth graders love this story. Um, Jason Everett talks about it in the Theology of the Body for the Teens. His one-and-a-half, two-year-old son is sitting on the kitchen floor, fly swatter in hand. Yes, yeah. used fly swatter. <laughs> Jason talks about, oh, I saw the tongue go on the fly spotter, and I, oh, oh. oh. And he says, I I, I felt like God the Father at that moment because I reached into this uh, freezer, gave him a popsicle, Uh took the fly swatter away and said, here, kid, this is what you're really looking for. Leave the other stuff behind. (laughs) Yeah. A little more graphic image than the playland, but yeah. Ain't that the truth? Yeah. (laughs) Now, the word destiny also, guys, means to aim at to aim at. Now, this word is very important to our faith. Why? Well, because it opens us up to the discussion of sin. What do I mean? Well, if you were to go into Paul, he uses a Greek term, hamartsia, which literally means to miss the mark. That Greek translates the Old Testament Hebrew word hata, hata, which means what? To miss the mark. Now, we're sinking ourselves into the Old Testament here, guys, but it's very relevant to what we want to get after this evening. If you were to go into the first five books of the Bible, we know them as the Torah, right? Torah. That is the Hebrew word, Torah, the law of the Old Testament. That's what the first five books in the Bible are all about. That word belongs to Hebrew, yara, Torah, yara. They sound like the same thing. Yara is the root to the Hebrew word for law, which literally means to strike bullseye. (laughs) Okay, now, what are we after? (laughs) If we are going to live in the heart of God, we're going to strike bullseye, and striking bullseye is to live in the law of God, which is the law of love. Why is sin to miss the mark? Because at its core, sin is disobedience to God the Father, the laws of which the Father has set. So when we sin, yes, we are breaking the law of God, we are disobedient, and even more so, we are breaking the Father's heart. So how do we arrive there? Well, we live in the law of God. If we are going to set ourselves properly by way of trajectory, we live in the law of God. If we are going to arrive at Legoland, if you will, my children better listen to dad, right? The laws that I have set forth. Mm -hmm. 
This is what this last section is about. Living with the end in mind, and that end ultimately is our destiny, the heavenly Jerusalem. I was interested, Joe, in this reading uh, to reflect on how he talks about Eros being such an important part of this trajectory. Mm. Um, uh, Christopher West talks about Eros is tied up in our trajectory, and what is what are our two targets? Well, there's going to be one or the other. It's going to be the destiny of heaven or the saying no and ending up in the lack of God, which is hell. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, for me, it was a it was a point of reflection to think, okay, my own capacity for erotic love is bound up in my own trajectory yeah. and where I am pointing yeah. because it is so central to our identity as male and female, you know, that expression of our love. And it was a good point of reflection for me to think I need to keep that in the right direction yeah. at all times as, as much as I possibly humanly can. And then, of course, with God's grace yeah. to do Amen. it all the time. And as we're talking about this, the moment to me that sticks out the most is the transfiguration. Mm. If that's mm. not the apostles trying to stay in playland, mm. I don't mm. know what is. Mm. But Jesus says, you know, we're, we're not meant to stay here. We, no, we have to keep going. And where is Jesus taking them? Mm-hmm. To Jerusalem for the crucifixion. Mm. Now, am I saying that being crucified is as fun as going to Legoland? No, of course not. Because as Christians, as followers of Christ, we will face challenges. We will be tempted to miss the mark. That temptation is real. But at the same time, that is what we're meant for. Mm-hmm. We're meant for that redemptive suffering. Yeah, Derek, and redemptive suffering is all about living with the end in mind, huh? sharing in the very crucifixion of Jesus Christ, mindful of heaven. You know, what does uh, the Catechism of the Catholic Church say about heaven? I know Christopher West touches upon this. You know, heaven, for the Catechism, is the ultimate end and fulfillment of the deepest human longings, the state of supreme definitive happiness. Hell, on the other hand is that eternal separation from God in whom alone man can possess the life and happiness for which he was created and for which he longs. You know, we don't like to talk about hell. And it's interesting, if you were to go into the past, Christian teachers sometimes probably focus too much on the reality of hell as a motivator for morality and too little, probably on God's love itself. Today, it seems we often have the opposite problem in that so many people assert that if God really loves us, there couldn't possibly be a hell. And what's so important for us to recognize here is that it's precisely because God really loves us that hell, definitive separation from God, is a real possibility. You know, guys, this brings us to a question that that I get asked all the time. If God is so loving, why does evil exist? Or if God is so loving, why does hell exist? Well, in light of what Christopher West talks about in this chapter, it's because God is so loving that hell exists, because what is native to love is freedom itself, right? You cannot love from without, but from within. Love can never be forced. Love can never be coerced. Love can never be browbeated. God does not force us to say yes, because forcing us would contradict His love. It would contradict freedom itself. 
So, while we have every reason to believe he will stop at nothing to win our freely given yes, what we must realize, it is in what is so native to love, that is freedom, that makes hell possible. Because we have been given this gift to choose right from wrong, good from evil, and ultimately, potentially, eternal separation from God. I, I hope my old humanities teacher isn't listening as I have to ask this, but it was Socrates who wrote The Cave, right? Is that correct? Uh, Plato. So in this, you know, these people live in a cave, fearful of the light, and, and always turn away from it, always choosing to dwell in the darkness. And how often is that us? Choosing to be fixated on Eros, choosing to be fixated on Playland as opposed to Legoland, when really all we have to do is turn around. All we have to do is take those first brave, probably painful steps towards the light and then choose that from there on. Mm -hmm. Changing the trajectory there. Yes. Right? Yes. yes. You know, something that um, came to mind as you're, you're speaking of this, Joe, is heavenly marriage, as Christopher West talks about in this chapter, heavenly marriage is not going to be a shotgun wedding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I it like that It is going line. to be free, yeah. freely yep. given and yeah. freely received. And... Hell must exist for those who say no to the proposal. Yeah. That's, that's the bottom line. It has to exist because, like you said, for God to truly love us, there has to be that option. Yeah. Truly in freedom. And what do we learn from sacred scripture? Christ's love is not a compulsive response to an urge. He freely loves the church. What is the passage that comes to us from John 10, 18? No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. He freely lays down his life. And so often today, as we've talked about so much here on this radio program, love itself is never to be reduced to just eros. And as we've talked about it, we can never reinforce that enough. Eros is that human erotic love. But as you talk about trajectory, Chris, it orients us towards other. And the more furnished form of love is realized in the donation of the flesh. Well, and if we look at that analogy of Christ's marriage to the church, prior to his crucifixion, when Christ had said that in the Gospel of John, had the church done anything to be worthy of that love? No. Mm. The, church had not, the church hadn't even been redeemed. Christ died on the cross to present himself a pure, spotless bride. But that means that before his death on the cross, he did not have that pure, spotless bride. And it was only in his death that that was present, that that became fruit, that that existed. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to remember that in Eros, there's almost a reward for the lover, but that's not the point. The point is to get into the habit of love for the sake of the other. Yeah. And, and without chastity, which is the need for morality to temper our erotic yes. tendency, yes. then yes. we have what Christopher West talks about. He says, in the sexual confusion of our times, we have the human desire for heaven gone berserk, yeah. gone berserk where there's no channeling, there's no formation of that towards an ultimate end. Well, and how small-minded can we be to, to change what heaven is, mm. to place heaven in sports, to place heaven in your drug of choice, to place heaven in whatever vice you may have? But really, it's like that story you shared earlier, Chris. It's us licking the fly swatter as opposed to the <laughs> yeah. popsicle. Right. <laughs> yeah. This is what you really want, kid. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we have this tendency to 
think we can compel God into our confined world as if God can be reduced to what we think. The whole revelation of the Christian and Catholic faith is that, well, it's revelation. It's divine revelation. It's something to be discovered. And so what we do in Theology of the Body is look at ourselves in the mirror and understand that we are created in His image and likeness, male and female, and we roll up our sleeves to better understand how in our bodies we are to go deeper into God's love. It's interesting, Joe. Chastity says that our destinies are inter intertwined, the lover and the beloved. I think about when my marriage works. It's when Roberta and I realize this, that our destinies, our directions are intertwined. Yeah. And I think of failed relationships in my own life. What happened? They unraveled because I didn't think of us as being intertwined. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I thought of us as, what can you give me? Yeah. And the other yeah. was thinking, what can you give yeah. back to me? Yeah. Selfish, self-centered. So. What, what can I get versus what can I give? Right. The bottom line. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, to speak of chastity is to speak of the virtue that really contains the lust within us and to really take that, that urge and orient it towards something greater, towards other and something greater. Um, and that's uh, why we have the sexual urge itself. Uh, you just spoke to it, Derek. The sexual urge is the necessary raw material, a key phrase of John Paul II, raw material for uh, certainly one flesh and communion, but it, it points to something greater. And again, we can never emphasize that enough. Chris, well, you were speaking, I was reminded of a homily by Father Joseph Ilo down in San Francisco. He was speaking to a group of young people, you know, 19, 25 or so, and um, he was talking about marriage. And specifically, he said that if you're going into marriage or any sort of relationship with a thought, well, what is this person going to do for me? What does this person have to offer me? Then you have missed the whole point of that relationship. The whole point of marriage specifically isn't what your spouse can give to you, but what do you give to your spouse? How do you lead your spouse closer to Christ? Hmm. And I think that that's really where our modern societies and modern cultures lose sight of the fact that all of our interactions should be that. What can I do for this person who's walking next to me on the street? What can I do for this person who's sitting next to me on the subway? What can I do for this person? And more specifically, what can I do for Christ in them? And one of the best descriptors for me to remember, and I know my lovely wife is going to be listening to this program. She's one of your faithful <laughs> listeners, Joe. Is marriage 50-50? Oh, is marriage 100% and zero? 75-25? Is mm. it 60-40? None of the above. Yeah. It's 100%, 100%. Yeah. That yeah. is why so many marriages don't work today. Yeah. You know, And I have to tell myself that all the time, yeah. a daily basis, 100%, 100%, or else it doesn't work. Yeah, because love itself is never conditioned to anything. I mean, to talk about Christian love is to talk about what is unconditional. And guys, what does it mean to use that word? I think we need to spend more time with this because I think as a whole, we talk about unconditional love and, you know, we talk about, well, what we get out of it. Well, you just spoke to conditioned love. Yeah, exactly. When you talk about unconditional love, it's never conditioned. It is love without an agenda. 
so often we do things with an agenda. And we even think we're doing good things. Well, I'm going to get this out of it. But what God teaches us on the cross is <laughs> enough is never enough until I give away everything. In point of fact, whatever I receive only belongs to love because it is intended to be given away. That's unconditional love. And as such, this unconditional love is absolute. When Christ looks down at us, he doesn't say to us, well, because you did this great thing today, I'm going to love you more. Or because you did this bad thing today, I'm going to love you less. No, he loves us as we are because his love is not conditioned. This is what we mean to say when we talk about God's love being unconditional and absolute. I've spoken this to a lot of young people, and it's an uncomfortable thought, but it speaks to the truth. So on one hand, you had someone like the Pope. And then on the other hand, the other side of that scale, you had someone atrocious like Adolf Hitler. There is no difference in God's love for either person. Yes, yes. Which is troubling, because we see the, the monstrous events that Adolf Hitler put into, into fruition and, and the monstrosities that occurred under the Nazi regime. But in God's eyes, that was still his son. That was still one of his children. And he could not possibly love him any less. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting, Derek, because while we cannot say God is going to love Adolf Hitler more than Pope Francis, what we can say is the greatness of his love will certainly shine forth in a very unique way, because if the likes of an Adolf Hitler converted, not that he did, but if the likes of him did convert, it certainly would reveal the greatness of his love and the greatness of his mercy. We do have many great men and women in our history that have converted to the Christian Catholic faith, and it's, it's interesting to note that um, as we speak to God's unconditional love. One of, the, uh, one of my favorite images, again, is talking to the eighth graders, take all of your sin, just let it pour out, just all the garbage and junk, let it pour out onto your desk. Now put that into a ball and just ball it up. And I want you to picture this. This, I think, was for Sister Faustina's image mm -hmm. from, mm -hmm. from our Lord. Yes. Now see that, all that whole pile of stuff, and you've got it into a ball? That is a grain of sand. Now mm -hmm. go out into the deepest part of the ocean. Throw that grain of sand, your sin, all of it, all of it. And we could even say the same thing for the greatest uh, despots in, in history. Yeah. If you're willing to ask for God's forgiveness, you throw that grain of sand in the sea, and as it, it trickles down, now you got to jump in and find it. Of course, it's, it's gone. Yes. It's, it's never coming yes. back. And it's never coming back. Why? Because of the greatness of his love. You know, to think about the greatness of his love, you guys, is to really think about what takes place on the cross and what is going on in the mind and heart of the Son of God. He bears the weight of our sin. He's up there on the cross, and he just doesn't look out into the horizon and see the weight of the sin of the future. No, no, he bears all the weight of the sin past, present, and future. It is always a fascinating thing for me to take note that the Roman crucifixion is the single most brutal, horrific kind of death known to man. As some historians note, history has never seen anything worse. And yet, and yet, God enters into human history at that time where there has never been a death so great. Why? 
Why does he do this, you guys? Because quite simply, now there can never be a time where someone says to God, you don't understand. Yes, of course, he dies on the cross to save us from our sin. And he gently reminds us that we can never say, you don't understand. Because there is no one thing that is so excruciating that happens to us that he has not first undertaken. And of course, to talk about what is excruciating is to talk about what comes literally from the cross, excruces. This is the love of God. And of course, this is the love we receive in the Eucharist. Well, and it it's, reminds me of something that Christopher West had mentioned in the previous chapter of how counterintuitive that idea is. Because in nature, you know, which fish eats the smaller fish? The bigger fish. Yes. But yes. yet here we have the biggest proverbial fish, God himself, coming to humanity and our insignificance saying, eat me. Take all of the greatness that is my glory and consume it. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Mind blown. Yeah, it really is. And what's so fascinating about that is when he says, take my body, he uses a rare Greek, which is take myself, my whole self, just not my corporal body, but my body, blood, soul, and divinity. This is why we believe in the Eucharist, that it truly is his body, blood, soul, and divinity. And this is the love that invades our souls. His very sacrificial love is what we ourselves are empowered by. That's an extraordinary thing to think about. I mean, sit on that. Sit on, it's an extraordinary thing. And hey, this isn't Derek, Chris, and Joe carrying on. Christ himself said this, <laughs> which we've talked about here on, on the radio program, of course. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm looking up at the clock, guys. We are out of time. I don't know if we have any closing thoughts. We're just getting this section going here. Really, the thing that I will take from this section, Joe, is our destiny means that we have a place to go, mm -hmm. that we are oriented towards something. And that destiny, if it's properly understood, is communion with God. Amen. Amen. And for all of us who have the privilege to be followers of Christ, to remember that our job is not to get to that destiny alone, mm. that we Amen. need to bring every person we come in contact with on that journey as well. Amen to that, Derek. Let us go ahead and wrap up with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good and gracious God, we do just give you special thanks and praise for the gift of uh, this beautiful subject matter that you have given us the opportunity to reflect upon, and hopefully by your grace, the words we talk about here and the truths of theology of the body really do settle into our hearts that it might bear the necessary fruit in our lives that draw us closer to your most sacred heart. And we pray these things through the intercession of your mother. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.